Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you support our work to keep you informed, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of October 4th, including... Green Shanks coming out for Anime Poll. Quebec's coroner confirms that Joyce Echequan died because of systemic racism, while Legault still disagrees it exists. Canada's employment is back to pre-pandemic levels, but we're not out of the woods just yet. HBCU funding, a casualty of democratic infighting. Hey Curtis, you got a quarter on you? Nah, mans like me don't carry change, you feel me? No! <laughs> Alright, well, Maya Angelou does. Ooh! And a black man has won the 2021 Nobel Prize for Literature. Nice. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. So, Patience, this was the week the Green Party did the expected. Right. Come for anime. First came former leader Liz May's trash op-ed in the Star. Trash. (laughs) Where she tried to make anime sound like she had been given all this new power that previous Green leaders never did yet still failed. May wrote, quote, It appears to me that Miss Paul expected her role to be similar to that of a CEO or chair following the American business model, and that she demanded relatively autocratic powers along those lines. The federal council resisted, but in the event were ground down and acceded to almost everything Annamie Paul requested. She was granted many elements of top-down leadership and authority, which green leaders do not customarily get. She alone controlled the choice of campaign manager. She controlled many key decisions in a non-transparent campaign working group, end quote. Then there was the green leader before her, Jim Harris, accusing Anime Paul of using her experience of racism and sexism as excuses for what he calls her poor performance over the last year. Live on CTV, patients, Jimmy said, quote, when she doesn't get her way, she calls racism. Now, racism, sexism, and violent metaphors like walking over shards of glass and spitting up blood get headlines, but what we have to judge a leader by is their performance and enemy's performance as leader has resulted in the Green Party's worst performance in 20 years, end quote. The blood clot audacity. Caucasity. The blood clot caucasity. <laughs> as Sandy Hudson from Black Lives Matter T.O. said on a panel discussion, also live on CTV, Quote, what a disgusting thing to say. What a terrible thing to say. It is really difficult when you experience racism to say publicly, this is something I've experienced and this is real. Why? Because those of us who experience racism know that we're going to go through exactly this. People trying to say that we're making it up. End quote. 
There's also the fact that there are developments we can point to showing a pattern of undermining enemy. Not to mention the fact that there's already a report in place that found that the Green Party has serious problems with systemic racism. Right. And that it may be, in fact, why enemy Paul was initially supported as Green leader. So I guess we're just going to ignore all that, huh? Of course. We discussed this on our last episode, by the way. I don't know. I wonder if the Greens will see the reaction to what they tried this week and choose to stand down instead. Because right now, from my perspective, this isn't it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this latest development with Annie Paul and the Green Party patients? Curtis, you actually think that they're going to stand down? Like, they they decided to speak up when Annie said that being their leader was like walking over shards of glass, Curtis. Mm. And they Mm. decided to speak up. That is... That is like exactly the time to stand down, to say nothing, to let this have its its moment, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to just move forward as a party. The fact that they are attacking her claims, it's honestly, and I don't, I don't mean to to put more violent examples in this episode, but it, it does kind of feel like a, an abuser, you know, saying that 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 the person that they abused was not abuse like oh that didn't hurt when i hit you you know what i mean like what Mm -hmm. do you what do you mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where is their diversity consultant (laughs) like i i can't if they thought that this was the worst that they had ever gotten in 20 years it's about to get worse yeah 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 anyway what do you think I mean, yeah, no, I I agree with you. I guess my my reasoning, my rationale for asking that is, you know, we saw what happened where, um, I'm forgetting the woman's name now, I think it was Story, uh, the former member of governing council that's no longer there, and she wrote that pretty racist letter about Annemie Paul, and then she, because it was public, (laughs) she uh, asked that it be rescinded. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm, it's that rationale that I have in mind where it's like, do, do these green officials, whether it's Jim, Liz, people on governing council, whoever, do they, they obviously do not have the competence to understand how what they are saying is truly being perceived. They're legout. This is legout all over again. What is right? this? Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just hope that they're, if, if they don't stand down next week, like you pointed out, I, I, uh, I really do hope that they feel some serious backlash. You brought us to our next story discussing the fact that Quebec's coroner confirmed that Joyce Echequan died because of systemic racism. You know, the coroner had this to say to begin, quote, although this may be difficult to hear, it's a system imprinted with prejudice and biases that contribute to healthcare staff not taking the situation seriously, end quote. Those are the words of Quebec's coroner, Gehan Kamel, who presided over a three-week inquiry into the death of Joyce Echequan. Joyce, as you may recall, was first admitted to hospital with stomach pains and died as a result of negligence through racism while in the care of Joliet Hospital staff just north of Montreal on September 28, 2020. Kamel's investigation, released October 1, confirmed what just about every Indigenous and racialized person knew in their gut just by watching the video of Joyce being taunted by the two or more little white nurses. Echequan's loved ones, who held a news conference of their own, agree. Her husband, Cahal Dubé, said, quote, Joyce died because she was indigenous, end quote. He continued, 
quote, our healing will come through truth. And today, a small part of that truth finally sees the light of day, Hmm. end quote. The family's lawyer said they will soon file a lawsuit with the details to come over the next few days. They also plan to file complaints with the province's College of Physicians, Order of Nurses, and the Human Rights Commission. Kamel, again, the coroner, issued several recommendations. The top one being that the Quebec government recognize that systemic racism exists within its institutions. Here's the thing, patients. To this day, to this day, patients, Mm. Quebec's Premier Francois Legault continues to deny that systemic racism exists in Quebec, saying as far as he's concerned, systemic racism would have to be organizational. Racist policies emanating from racist people with power within an organization. Here's his quote. For me... A system is coming from upstairs, coming from the top people, and I don't see this in the healthcare network, he said. Legault also showed further incompetence, saying systemic racism existed in Quebec when residential schools were in place, but that he doesn't see the evidence of it now. What? But as the Quebec coroner herself pointed out, and as many academics, analysts, historians, you name it, have made clear, quote, Systemic racism doesn't imply that each individual that is part of this system is racist. Exactly. It implies that the system, either through prejudices that are tolerated, reprehensible acts, or its inaction, contributes to trivializing and marginalizing indigenous communities, end quote. Full stop. (laughs) Full stop. For the record, after Joyce Esquan's death... Atikamek leaders in Quebec drafted Joyce's principle, a set of recommendations meant to guarantee healthcare for Indigenous people free of discrimination by having it enshrined in provincial law. But the province? Well, they've refused to draft legislation that includes tenants from Joyce's principle because they also reference systemic racism. Vive le Québec libre. Thoughts on this ongoing story out of Quebec, patients? I, I think it's, it's really interesting to me that Legault see systemic racism in the residential school system, perhaps only because of the recent, you know, finding of unmarked graves of children, but refuses to see this ongoing current example of systemic racism in the killing, the neglect, the the murder of Joyce Eshaquan. Like, mm-hmm. I... I, I'm I'm struggling to see. Is, is it because it's it's children involved in the residential schools? Is it because it's the church involved in the residential school system, and and thus he's more he's more capable of separating it from himself? Because because with Legault, I, th- I think it it really is about him. I think he is really personally taking this as an attack on 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 him and his family. He is and, the state, right? <laughs> so it. It, it he he's just he's not able to reconcile you know systemic racism as a institutional thing that the entire province is struggling with and you know the outcomes that we're seeing that are obviously tied to inequality and in all these other things so that that's really it's really fascinating to me he he should be studied you know someone should write a, someone should write a thesis or a dissertation on legout and his positions on things word <laughs> Jumping to the Canadian economy segment. According to StatsCan, last month, just over 19 million Canadians were working, just like it was in the good old days of February 2020, meaning all the jobs we lost to the pandemic have been recovered. Really? The surprise, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The surprise gain of 157,000 jobs means our unemployment rate has fallen from 7.1% to 6.9%. That's positive. 
The rush of new jobs beat market expectations and comes as the feds reconsider the looming October 23rd cutoff for pandemic support programs like wage and rent subsidies for businesses and direct payments to people who are still having a hard time re-entering the job market, which Deputy Prime Minister Freeland said she and PM Trudeau had been discussing this week. For the record, the Liberals campaigned on targeted support to the hard-hit tourism sector, as did other parties like the Conservatives. But businesses and labor organizations say those programs need to stay, fam. (laughs) At least for a time. Why don't we break down some of what the StatsCan report told us? There were things to smile at. The September gains were made across the board, first of all. Hiring was entirely full-time work and mostly by the services sector. Really? Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) Uh-huh. Do you see it? I don't... Anyway, I want you to continue, but I'm I'm surprised. Let's keep going. Please continue. Yeah. Professional, scientific, and technical services, which includes the tech industry, is up 11.9%, the leading industry over the pandemic, followed by public and men, which is up 10.8%, and natural resources at 7%. Women are back to working at the same level as before. In fact, they're now working just a bit more than before, following a gain of 99,700 jobs. Men, for our part, need to fill 12,000 more jobs to return to pre-pandemic levels as well. The labor force participation rate, which is the share of people either working or looking for work, grew 0.4% to 65.5%, also demonstrating a full recovery. There was also a temporary lift from the federal election, creating jobs for 13,000 people. So are we sure it wasn't a complete waste? Still, there was bad news too. StatsCan noted there are, quote, notable differences, end quote, in the recovery since some segments of the labor market are thriving while others are experiencing major challenges. A notable example, entrepreneurship. Mm. There are 19,000 less entrepreneurs earning money now than there were in February 2020. That's 241,000 people not able to regain stability since that time. Wow. I alluded to the hospitality industry. They struggled to find workers in the summer reopening and lost 27,000 workers last month. Employment in that industry is down 14.8% over the pandemic. Only agriculture has feared worse, down Mm. 20.2%. But maybe it's because these industries refuse to properly compensate their workers? Of course it is. So anyway, overall, (laughs) we can smile a little since the Canadian labor market looks pretty different than in the U.S., There, more barriers are keeping people from returning to work. The U.S. reported an increase of 194,000 jobs in September, but that was well short of the 500,000 that they were expecting. That country has 11 million job openings despite unemployment levels. Yeah. 11? How many people work in Canada? Like, yo, 11 million job openings? Like 11 million people and like 17 million people voted in Canada. Like, <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, yeah, yeah man, crazy. it's crazy, right? Any, any particular thoughts you want to, uh, you, you kind of did share them, right? Yeah, man. I mean, you're talking about how like the, like the bounce back is real. I don't know, man. I don't know if it's just like, you know, we're all so, so shaped and, and, and guided by the people that are around us and, and you know, their, their living situations and, and mm-hmm. their situations. And, you know, folks haven't bounced back in, in my immediate vicinity in terms of, you know, my family members and my friends and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm surprised to hear that the bounce back is basically back to pre-pandemic levels because I still see folks in recovery mode. I still see folks, you know, trying to figure out what this world looks like. Um, 
I, I think some of that may have have a little bit to do with vaccination policies with certain employers are making it so that certain people can't work right now. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's it's some other stuff that that's that's happening. But mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised. I, obviously, you know, the rest of Canada is doing really well. I don't know if our listeners are doing really well. Yeah. So when when you said that all the jobs have been replaced, I was like, okay. What I expected you to say is that full time jobs. Yeah, that mm-hmm. full time jobs have been replaced by part time jobs. And then you went on to say that full time jobs. Uh, like that, that these 100%. are one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Who? Who? Wow, wow. I, I, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's am- like, what about all those people who worked, you know, in the, the Scotiabank arena, you know, for the Raptors? What about all those people who worked for the movie theaters and you know, like things that are? But I think that counts as hospitality, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's amazing that the economy can bounce back. I'm just concerned with how connected or how disconnected I am from the rest of the world because I, I didn't see this. Yes. It's not I, evident from my lived experience. I agree with you 100%. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Moving on to Blackity Black Black News this week. All three of our Blackity Black Black stories are international this week, so we're doing a bit of a Blackity Black Black and World segment combo. First story is HBCU funding cut from $45 billion to $2 billion? Not what it seems. Last week, we spoke about the infighting within the U.S. Democratic Party. And this week, the party is seeking to compromise and is working through a happy medium to get the $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan passed, as well as the question mark trillion dollar welfare and climate change plan passed. One of the early casualties of the $3.5 trillion welfare and climate change plan was the money set aside, the $45 billion set aside for historically black colleges and universities. The Biden administration's original proposal called for sending at least $45 billion to black colleges and other minority-serving institutions to update their research programs, create incubators to help students innovate, and to help traditionally underserved populations. So good on Biden for doing this, right? Mm-hmm. If, and I do mean if, because these negotiations are ongoing, if the funding is reduced to the proposed $2 billion, the funding for all these HBCUs will be grant-based, and HBCUs will need to apply for the funding because there simply wouldn't be enough to go around to the 102 public HBCUs in the U.S. Meaning, we can expect this money to go to big HBCUs like Howard University, Spelman College, and Morehouse, unless going to the ones that you've never heard of, like Dillard University, for instance. Dillard? Dill (laughs) who? (laughs) In general, Black colleges have lacked the fundraising ability of their other universities, right? We've talked about endowments before when it comes to um, organizations like the Foundation for Black Communities, Mm -hmm. but 
consider this. The cumulative endowment for all historical black colleges through 2019 was a little more than $3.9 billion. Wow, that's that's a peanut. This is about the same, a peanut indeed, <laughs> a peanut indeed. This is about the same as the endowment for just the University of Minnesota. Like, what? <laughs> We're not even talking like Stanford, Yale, Harvard. UBC. The University of Minnesota. Where, like, where is that? Just kidding. Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Advocates said that the funding struggles, as well as the role the colleges have played historically, is why long-term federal assistance is needed. This $45 billion is needed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look good for Biden to just slash this, this HBCU funding right now. Mm-hmm. Historically, Black colleges in the last two years have received unprecedented levels of federal funding, more than they have in the past decade combined. That includes the $1.6 billion given to them under the Democrats' American Rescue Plan passed earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So I've seen the story, you know, about the, the funding cuts and this these negotiations. I've seen it reposted a few times over the last week. And people are essentially saying that Biden has slashed HBCU funding. I, I, I want to be clear because I, this is not an accurate reflection of what is happening. Mm-hmm. If you want to blame someone, anyone, for what is happening to HBCU funding. Cinema and Mansion. Senators, cinema, and mansion need to get it, okay? I knew it. I knew it. Fam, they are the ones who have refused to support the $3.5 trillion plan and are aiming to get this plan down to what? $2 trillion. That is about 55% of the existing plan. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, just like politics is in any country, it's a numbers game. And they have a lot of leverage. Those two senators have a lot of leverage right now. And what should be Biden's call, because it's Biden's administration, is not because he has to appease them and rebuild his party before he can rebuild America. Any thoughts on this, Curtis? Wow. Uh, There's... Where do I start? I I, I like how you ended that talking about how, uh, you know, this is Biden's plan, but it's being upended. And it it really does put into perspective um, how much power individual... Um, senators and Congress people in the United States have, which is very different from what happens here in Canada, the the UK, um, I think even in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, look, on the issue itself, doesn't this kind of, isn't this reflective of what is also happening in Canada? And I, I say that because there have been numerous examples when you compare the Trudeau government and the Biden administration, showing that in many ways, the U.S. administration is following what the Trudeau administration has been able to put in place, whether we're talking about child care, for example, the uh, the $3.5 mm. trillion dollar plan. Right. If it comes to fruition, it would be as a result of that. The endowment fund, right? We have our endowment fund. Again, we pointed out that the endowment fund at the Foundation for Black Communities Extracted from the federal government, it is the first. It was the first fund like that anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Certainly, for, certainly based on their research, and now it looks like the Biden administration is copying that. There's also the the Canada Child Benefit. The Biden administration sought to um, put that in place, well, in, for the U.S. obviously, and expand it for for their people. Um, so we really do see a copying of policies to the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that's very good I think because historically the United States has been known as the opposite of that. Right. Uh, and of course, we, we, we wanted Biden to assume the presidency so that he could change that. And, and by and large, he is doing so. So I, I'm very happy to see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I love that that cross pollination of policies because you're you're right. I, I think Trudeau was teaching Biden how to be progressive, which is great. Mm. <laughs> Moving on to our next story. In happier news, BIPOC legends will be appearing on US Mint starting at the beginning of next year. I don't really walk with cash anymore, Curtis, and I'm not sure if you do, but um, particularly when I'm when I'm traveling, I maybe carry around like a twenty dollar a U some some U.S. twenty dollar bills or something like that. But anyway, I, I may never see a U.S. quarter in my lifetime, mm. but this is still a pretty big deal. Last year, the U.S. Mint invited the public to submit the names of women they view as American icons. The bureau welcomed entries of women known for their work in civil rights science, and the arts, among other areas, with an emphasis on women from, quote, ethnically, racially, and geographically diverse backgrounds, end quote. The only requirement was that the women who appear on the coins be deceased. The women featured were selected earlier this year and include, of course, the celebrated poet, civil rights activist, Oprah's mentor, Maya Angelou, (laughs) Sally Ride, who is actually an astronaut who was the first American woman in space. Asian-American actress Anna Mae Wong. Cherokee Nation leader Wilma Mankiller. Okay. <laughs> Yo, that's quite a name. I need to know the story behind that, but okay. And suffragette and politician Nina Otero Warren. So big, big things, right? Maya Angelou on the U.S. quarter? Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, all I heard um, throughout this story was um, uh, Maya Angelou's poem, Still I Rise. And I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy that she continues to rise even, even today. In our last happy story, and the 2021 Nobel Literature Prize goes to Tanzanian novelist Abdul Razak Gurna. The only black winner of a Nobel Prize this year, Hmm. Gurna was born in Zanzibar, Tanzania in 1948 uh, and later arrived in England as a refugee in the late 1960s. While living in the UK, he was a professor of English and postcolonial literatures at the University of Kent in Canterbury until his recent retirement. Notably, Gurna is the first black African author to have won the award since Nigerian Wole Shoyinka won in 1986. 35 years. 35 years ago. Wow. Which really goes to show you, so other, other black folks have won, so black folks from the Caribbean and black folks from um, the U.S., mm-hmm. but it really goes to show, you know, how not black <laughs> the Nobel Prizes are um, and, and have continued to be despite, um, you know, huge achievements within our, our communities. Garnett has written 10 novels, the most famous of which are Desertion and Paradise. Uh, and when asked how he felt about winning the prize, he said that he was, quote, surprised and humbled, unquote, to be awarded the 2021 Nobel Prize for Literature, saying further that, quote, it was such a complete surprise that I really had to wait until I heard it announced before I could believe it, end quote. Jumping to questions for the audience. This week, the World Health Organization approved the first malaria vaccine called Miscarix. According to the WHO, malaria takes the lives of 400,000 people a year, 94% of which occurs in Africa. Despite the fact that it's only 30% effective, requires four doses, and recipients need to re-up every few months, 
the vaccine will save and give a better quality of life to tens of thousands of Africans. So it is a real breakthrough. The question today is, if you could divert the world's resources to develop the next vaccine, what sickness would you target? You've just listened to episode 71 of The Trip. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip TO. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.